Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Philippians 3, starting at verse 1. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you looked at your bulletin, uh, no, uh, Chuck Fultz has not lost his looks and got old. <laughs> uh, it's just me. Um, I do want to say that I want us to pray for him and his family. Uh, Caitlin uh, has learned that her dad, uh, who suffered a stroke recently, uh, suffered that stroke because he has pancreatic cancer that has spread through his kidneys and has now uh, consumed his body. Um, they don't know how much longer he has on this earth, um, but please pray for that family. Uh, no one is uh, ready for their parents to leave this earth. 
Uh, so uh, I bring that up um, so you understand what's going on in our family. You can pray for the comfort of uh, Chuck and his wife. And, um, and it even goes to something we sang today, which goes along with what we're going to talk about today. Uh, today I want to talk to you about living your life on your deathbed. I want to talk about the fairness of our Lord Jesus. Something we sang today, I want to read to you for the sake of the Fultz family. Fair are the meadows, fair still the woodlands, robed in the blooming garb of spring. Jesus is fairer. Jesus is purer who makes the woeful heart to sing. Some of us uh, may not know what it's like to have a woeful heart. Um, As you get older, you are confronted with death. As we look at young people who have not been confronted with death, and have not had to consider it, we see young people believing things matter that really don't. Uh, In fact, if we were to give advice to young people, it would be something like this. Everything that you think matters, that is really important to you today, really has no matter at all in this world, and everything that you think is kind of boring and kind of not interesting at all means everything. And it is the great delusion of immaturity that brings us a false view of what matters in this world. Today we're talking about Ephesians 3, and Paul is talking to the Philippians, and the theme of this whole letter is to live as Christ and to die is gain. If you follow the entire book that he, or the entire letter that he writes to the Philippians, you see that theme echoed over and over. So he talks about what it's like to live in Christ. Talks about in chapter two how it is we are to imitate Christ, and that living in Christ looks like imitating Him. Chapter three then starts with this word, finally. Finally. It is as if Paul is giving that final advice. If the last thing you ever hear me say is X, then remember this. Paul is talking as a man on his deathbed to his beloved children. Finally, my brethren... If, I never, if you never hear from me again, remember this. Rejoice in the Lord. And if I have to write these things over, it's not too hard for me. Listen, beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of false circumcision. He's giving his final advice, is what it sounds like to me. Maybe some of you have 
experienced uh, death in a close manner. Maybe someone close to you has died. Maybe some of you have heard a diagnosis where you know that it is going to be a diagnosis that brings you to your end. And when we are faced with those moments, we finally start to think about what really matters. What really matters. We look at our little kids, our toddlers who argue over a toy, and we understand that at that moment, that toy means a lot to those little kids, but we know it doesn't matter. They become teenagers and they start thinking about uh, bigger toys, maybe relationships, things like that. And a lot of energy goes into the excitement of those things. A new computer, a new car, video games, whatever it is, becomes the center of their world. They become focused on it. And as a parent who has been uh, maybe made familiar with death, we know that stuff doesn't matter. We know it doesn't matter. But as we get further away from a deathbed reality, we start focusing on things and start believing things matter that don't matter. Last week, we talked about how we have focused on the news, we have focused on different uh, media outlets, we have focused on the pandemic. We're sick of hearing that word, I hope we are. We focus on all this stuff to the point where we hurt relationships and we find ourselves toddlers again, focusing on what does not matter sacrificing everything that really does matter, like your church family. Today, we have an opportunity to think about death, that it might sober us up a little bit because someone in our family is going to be dealing with it. And because they're going to be dealing with it, we, as a family, should be dealing with it. It should sober us up and maybe think about what matters. And in Philippians, we have Paul talking about what matters. And so he begins with his, with his list He starts us off with talking about these dogs that we're supposed to, be aware, that we're supposed to be aware of and beware of, and evil workers, and false circumcision. Isn't that like a father? When you have one last thing you want to say to your kids, in a fallen world, isn't it the first thing you think of is, look, this is what I want you to be careful about. These are the people I want you to watch out for. Don't fall into this problem. And he brings up the most important one, that if you are a father, 
This is what you are constantly worried about. If you love the Lord and you love your children, you are constantly worried about what they're putting their confidence in. What are you putting your confidence in? There's something to be aware of. It's these false theologians, these people that are really good at sucking you in, that have something inspirational to tell you, maybe even something, as we talked about last week, theologically correct, that really speaks to you so they can get you into their good graces, get you into their world, get you into how they think so that they can manipulate you. Why does these sort of things happen? It happens because what Paul is saying is we have placed our confidence in the flesh. Something you hear from TV all the time, those of you that are older, you may have heard it from Oprah Winfrey. Those of you that are younger, you probably heard it somewhere in one of the songs that you think is really cool. And it's this phrase, you really have to just believe in yourself. If you don't believe in yourself, how can you get anything accomplished? You know what your problem is? You just don't believe in yourself. Oh, you poor thing, you poor victim who hasn't believed in yourself for so long that your life is falling apart. If only you loved yourself more. It is the philosophy of the world to teach us how to be infatuated with ourselves. To not say to begin to love yourself, but what they're really saying is it's okay to be in love with yourself. Put confidence in that. And so Paul goes down the list of uh, why, if anyone should be confident in the, in the flesh, he should be. I mean, we're good Christians, right? We would never look at an unsaved person and say, that's the person I have confidence in, or that person really is the greatest person. You know, we're, we're good Christians, so we find good Christian people, Right? And so he goes down the, down the line. If anything that anyone should have confidence in uh, themselves, it should be me. I was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, I got the right sacrament and at the right time. Right? In other words, if I can put it in today's language, uh, I was baptized. I'm a member of the church. And he goes on. Uh, I'm of the nation of Israel. I have the right heritage of the nation of Israel. I'm not one of you uh, maybe pretenders who are the Gentiles, you know, sneaking in. I'm of the, the chosen ones, right? If anyone should have confidence in those things, it should be me. He's distinguished himself from the Edomites. He's of the real circumcision. He has... Uh, even shown himself to be an ancestor of the right people, like the tribe of Benjamin. And of the tribe of Benjamin, he has shown himself to be of the best tribe, one of the tribes that are uh, the most uh, sought out in the idea of this whole uh, view of Israel. He even talks about purity. 
I'm the Hebrew of the Hebrews. The Hebrew of the Hebrews. I mean, it doesn't even get any better than that. And of piety, of the law, I'm a Pharisee. Now, we hear the word Pharisee and we think, oh, that's bad. But back then, it wasn't bad. Those were the conservatives. He might have well said, of the law, I'm a Republican. A Republican of the Republicans. Why? I make sure I listen to my uh, talk radio every day. Fox News gives me my signals on my phone. And why do I make that comparison? Because the Pharisees were big on connecting their national pride of their heritage to their spirituality. Does that sound familiar? He was rigid. He followed the law. He was blameless according to the law. He was blameless. This is inspired by the inspired words that he spoke. He must have actually been blameless in relation to the law. And maybe you would think to yourself, well, he, may have, he might have all those things, but he's not as genuine as uh, he should, should have been, maybe. And it's that genuineness, right? That's where, our, uh, that's where we get the charismatic movement gaining so much traction. These people are all academics. We are from the heart. And Paul said, nope, I'm not just an academic. I'm from the heart, too, of zeal. You want to see zeal? I persecuted the church. How many of you have done anything that has that kind of zeal? Where I'm willing to dedicate my life to purify uh, the religion by getting rid of the heretics. And of being justified, he was found righteous in all the rules. And then you have, to, you have to remember, as a Pharisee, it wasn't just the rules of the Ten Commandments. The Pharisees have added about a billion rules beyond that, and he kept all those. In other words, he's showing that compared to us, uh, he had everything. Everything you would put your confidence in. Every internet personality that has shown themselves to be really eloquent that you just think this is the greatest message I've ever heard wow the internet has helped me so much and whoever that guy is you look and he is like this if anyone could put confidence in the flesh it's the guy I listen to on the internet who has really helped my spiritual life so much that guy should have confidence in the flesh and so what does Paul say about these things that, we are, that he listed here? Verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now let me uh, be clear. You might think this is just Paul being humble. He's just a humble guy. He's so nice that he realizes, you know, this is my resume, but it's nothing. Even though he kind of thinks it is something, right? We've talked, uh, I think I brought it up last week, the great difficulty of 
liking seminary students comes from their joy that they get from the new knowledge they're gaining from their seminary classes and the different books that they've read and the need for them to let everyone know what new books they're, re they're reading and things like that. And, uh, and it is difficult. I, I, uh, I remember just a little while ago seeing on my Facebook page, which by the way, maybe we'd be better off just not, uh, not looking at it, but anyway, uh, a guy I went to seminary with, um, whenever I see the words, I was humbled to, I know something bragging is about to come next, right? I was humbled to be uh, ordained into such and such a place. I was humbled to be uh, confirmed as, uh, as a pastor of X gigantic church. And, uh, you know, just so humbled to let everyone know, right? And we understand that there are these, there's this uh, way of talking about your resume and being self-deprecating and saying, but, you know, it's nothing. It's, it's all lost for Christ. All lost for Christ. Does everyone, as long as you, like, everyone got my resume, right? You got it? Yeah, it's very impressive. But all lost for Christ, everybody. <laughs> and we know we're used to that kind of talk. We're used to people starting their bragging session with, I was humbled too. But Paul wants to really make sure we understand that his resume is junk. Because with verse 7, it seems as though he might be a little afraid that people might think that he really wasn't um, ashamed of his resume. So with verse 7, he says, but, but whatever things are gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ... Ah, uh, no, wait, they're going to, okay, listen closely. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And those things that I have suffered loss, all those things, I count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ. I count it as rubbish. Now, English translators are very uh, proper people, and that's fine. But what is this Greek word rubbish here? Because rubbish does sound very polite, probably something a British person would say, and once they say it in a British accent, it sounds almost not bad at all. But rubbish here is the Greek word uh, for dog scraps, which would include, according to that culture, uh, this word was also used for the word dung. I count it as dung. What do you count as dung? I want to go back to this idea of Paul speaking fatherly to his children, telling them this is, if you don't remember anything, remember this type talk. Where we have kind of a deathbed type of talk to his children. If any of you were ever confronted with death, where you thought you might die, 
or you saw someone you love very much pass. For just moments at a time, you realize that all those things you were caring about, all those things you have yelled about to your wife, to your kids, all those things you tried so hard to preserve, the time that you have spent trying to accomplish some kind of task, some kind of thing that you thought, if I can just get this thing, if I can just do this thing, I would bring meaning to my life, you realize at least for a few minutes that it doesn't mean anything. Men, those things that you thought would bring great worth to your life, ambition, the thing where you have worked so hard so that at a party you can say, this is what I do for a living, I matter. Have those things really brought about meaning? Or at a deathbed type thought, where a deathbed reality comes to your mind and for those moments, have you realized that all those things that you were ignoring, those things that you have thought to yourself have gotten in the way were actually the things that were important. Your children. Have we, as men, mentored our children? Or have we dealt with the annoyances, given pep talks of the annoyances, and that is our mentoring system. Men, have we taken interest in other men in, the, in our com congregation, in our family, here at our church? Have the older men looked down at the younger men and said, how can I help you? What kind of knowledge can I give you? Women, what, has, what is important to you at a deathbed thought? If you're living your life in the deathbed world where you are trying to think about what is so important, what is important to you? What kind of confidence have you put in your flesh? Paul is trying to help us understand something about Christ. Let's look at verse 8. As he counts these things but loss, he counts them as loss, as dung, the things that seem like a sacrifice to give up, the things that seem like a suffering, those things he counts but, but loss, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And he's glad to give them up if he were to gain Christ. The surpassing value. Why is Christ of surpassing value? Now, we can name a bunch of things that are very Christian. 
right? Christ is God, surpassing value. Christ is the creator of the universe, surpassing value. And that's all true. What in this text is telling us about surpassing value that Paul is talking about? Look at verse 9. That he might gain Christ and be found in him. And be found in Christ. A bond with Christ. A union with Christ. That he may be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, derived from his own works, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. I have found, at least in my life, that I have not valued Christ. That I have found great interest in things that don't matter. If I can put it this way, like my job. Like stuff. Like a house. And found great matter in that. But Christ, not so interesting. We have Christian talk for Christ. We have Christian ways of speaking about Christ to other Christians that sound very, very Christian, make you sound very, very pious, and make you sound as if that uh, you actually do value him. Paul is making the argument that the reason that we should value Christ is because the righteousness that has been given to those who are saved, that righteousness is not ours, it's his. And that this righteousness was gained by faith. And we know in Ephesians 2 that that faith isn't ours either. It was given to us by the Holy Spirit so that we wouldn't brag. What is he getting at? Well, why would you need righteousness? Why would you need faith? I mean, why would you need it? Are you in debt? Sometimes I think that we as Christians look at Christ as someone that gave us a bonus check. That we weren't in debt before, but God, Christ gave us the bonus check, which was really nice. That I was keeping up on my bills, I am paid exactly what I need, I'm doing fine, but then I get a stimulus check from Christ, and that's good too. And so when someone says, what has Christ done for you, it's not very interesting to you, though you know as a Christian you need to make it sound that way. And when someone says, what has Christ done for you, 
It sounds kind of embarrassing and weird to talk about it because everyone knows that Christians are kind of weird and that we're not very smart, and which is all very true. But part of what makes us uninterested in our Christ, where we don't find a lot of worth, is because we don't find our debt very deep. Why did you need righteousness? Because those things that were given up for Christ, that resume, was an anti-Christ resume. All those things that you have put in your life that you thought had worth was placed there by someone so desperately evil, so desperately horrible, someone who loved themselves so much, someone who had been given so much and so ungrateful for it needed out of debt because we were in a debt so deep so helpless so devastating that eternity was long enough for us to pay it back eternity Sometimes uh, it's hard to talk about hell as a Christian because it's hard to help uh, other people understand what we're talking about. I want you to imagine uh, someone who has done incredible evil towards others. Maybe someone who's done incredible evil towards you. Um, And maybe we can think of the worst guy we can possibly think of. Um, You know, Hitler's pretty popular when it comes to that. So let's say Hitler. Let's say that you are able to personally know each and every person Hitler had put to death through his work. And you were close to each and every one of those people that he had tortured and killed through his regime. And it was placed on you to give Hitler the punishment. And I'm not talking about death. I'm talking about the torture that he deserves. And you were able to torture him for him to pay back the millions of deaths that he was responsible for. How long would you have the stomach to torture a man? He is worthy of it. How long would you torture him? Perhaps maybe for a week you would have the the stomach for it, knowing that he deserved it, knowing those people. Maybe two weeks. Maybe some of us are a little more vengeful than others. Maybe you would be able to do for a full year of daily torture. But I guarantee you, you would have a limit. And this is why we would have a limit. Not because we're more merciful than God, I'll tell you that right now. It's because deep down inside we know that we sympathize 
with him. Because deep down inside, we are no better than him. And the sin that is in us would not have the stomach to continue the justice. But there is one who has the justice and the purity and the holiness to continue the judgment upon the wicked for eternity of constant pain. Because that is what your debt deserves. You deserve day after day torture. And not torture from someone who's doing wrong, but torture from the one who is the only one that is worthy to do it. That's your debt. And until we realize the depth of our sin and the depth of our debt, Christ will not be, wor- will not be worthwhile to us. For as long as you look at hell and think that's unfair, for as long as we look at our sin and think it's not that bad, for as long as we view ourselves with our rose-colored glasses to think that maybe Christ's death and resurrection for our sake was done as a bonus because our debt is not that deep, we will never understand the surpassing worthiness of our Christ. The righteousness that you need, the faith that you need, none of it is from you. This is not about being a Calvinist. This is about understanding the holiness of your God and the graciousness of our Lord and Savior and understanding all those things on your resume are dung. They're not just neutral. They're not just, well, they didn't do me any good. They're not just useless paper. They are part of what condemns you. To put your trust in what condemns you is part of what Paul is saying is the problem that we can't value our Lord because we haven't searched out the depths of our sin. This knowing that Paul uses this word know to know our Lord. We have to remember that this is coming from a Jewish man who has studied the scriptures closely, particularly the Old Testament written in Hebrew, in which most of the the phrases of knowing the Lord in Hebrew was the word yada. And that word is also used when you see things like Adam knowing Eve. You'll see in Genesis that when Adam knew Eve... Cain and Abel came about. In other words, there was an intimacy, a physical intimacy going on, right? And that word yada is used. 
As you go through the Old Testament, you will find that same word used for those uh, that are God's people. That knowing the Lord is not simply knowing of the Lord. That knowing the Lord means an intimate closeness, a unity, not a um, metaphorical unity. Not, I picture in my mind, a unity, but a unity, a covenantal unity in which you are in Christ. Being in Adam makes you a certain kind of creature in which you trace your heritage back to Adam, the, dis- the one who disobeyed, the one that you inherited your, your sinful nature from. Being in Christ is not a metaphorical idea, is not how I like to think of Christ. If it was metaphorical, then your salvation would be, uh, would be weighted upon a metaphor. Your salvation is in a true unity, a real covenantal unity with the one that made you a new creature. Being in Christ changes you fundamentally. And this surpassing worth of Christ. I want you to think about very quickly as we bring this to a close. I want you to think about um, the day that... uh, how many in here, I mean, I don't know, you have to raise your hands, kind of weird when people do that during a church service, but uh, how many of you have gotten a new car, like brand new? I don't mean new to you, but new, new, like where the new car smell has not been added, it's actually a new car. You think of those kinds of cars, right? Now, some of you may have gotten a new car like that, and you had children, and uh Cheerios becomes what they eat because Cheerios are easy to to vacuum, right? Because this is your new car. Maybe some of you have made the horrible mistake of taking your children in your new car to a beach. (laughs) And you suddenly realize how important the new car is. Um, Children throw up. Children spill things. Uh, For whatever reason, uh, the manufacturers of America hate us, and they make red juice. And so we give it to our kids in our car, and they mess everything up. You really start, when you have kids, you really start understanding the idea of something pristine and something really gross touching that which is pristine. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? Where they're cute and all, and we get that, but when you're, a, when you're a parent, you get by that. You're able to look over it, right? Um, and you understand that your kid is kind of gross. And when you put them on something pristine, you see that huge conflict. Right? A sandy uh, kid with grape Kool-Aid all down his front, who has now uh, maybe messed up his diaper to the point where it has gone beyond his diaper. And now you have to set them because you're at the beach. Somehow you have lost his diaper. You can't change it. And you have to set that kid 
in that beautiful car. All right? And you really see that clash of purity and grossness being put together. That is obviously uh, not the greatest uh, comparison. I want you to think about what had to happen for people like us in which every thought we have is a thought of trying to please ourselves. Where every thought we have is a thought of how I can be happier, feel better. Where even if my thoughts hurt people around me, I will continue those thoughts because my main concern is me. Where I have married my wife to be happy, and if I don't feel that kind of happiness I was really hoping for, then I guess we're not in love because love means I don't, you know, I feel the happiness I was hoping for. So I leave her and I try for something else to make me happy. Or my family doesn't make me as happy as I was hoping, it doesn't make me fulfilled, so I will replace my family with a hobby. I will replace my family with ministry. I will replace my family with my work. I will find some way to make me happy. And every thought is some way to bring some kind of pleasure back into our hearts because we are dedicated, loving, worshipful people when it comes to ourselves. We serve ourselves well. And something that disgusting was changed. Our debt was paid by Christ and all we can see is his surpassing worth to us. And something pristine has been joined with something like us. And not joined in a metaphorical way, not joined in our minds, but separated, but joined in the most intimate way possible where we are in Christ and he in us. And the love of the Father is shown in us because Christ has grabbed hold of us. And your hearts have changed because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And you didn't do anything to earn it. God grabbed you. He took you out of your filth and joined himself with you, making you new in him. And if we do not see the worth of Christ after that, after we see ourselves so dirty and gross, and combined and put together with the pristine holiness of our God. If we don't see the surpassing worth of our God after that, it is a wonder that we are even saved. As Paul talks as a father to his children, as if he were on his deathbed, he is telling his children Know the Lord. Understand his worth. Separate yourself again and again from sin and be like your God. Be like the Lord. Imitate 
the Lord. Because in the end, as we are bound to Christ, we are bound to his death and conformed to his death that we might be bound to his resurrection. What is so important about Christ's resurrection from the dead is that he was found worthy to be resurrected by the Father. The sacrifice was accepted. Your sacrifice is not accepted without Christ. You are resurrected with Christ because he has been accepted. And you are in him. If I were on my deathbed and I had to tell you some things before I was gone, I would tell you to beware of the dogs out there that want to separate you from your family, the family of God, who come across as really neat people that are very eloquent, that have things to say that you haven't thought of before and might even give you some enlightenment, but are working hard to push you away from your family. I would say to really think about the debt that you had and the way the Lord, who is worthy, made you righteous. I would tell you to stop thinking about the stupidity of what's going on, the dumb things that get us focused, the silly things that make divisions among us, and I would say, think about the Lord and his surpassing worth. Love each other. Show each other how much you love each other. Be uncomfortable. If inviting someone to your house makes you uncomfortable, do it anyway. If going up and talking to someone you haven't met yet makes you uncomfortable, good. Because now you have a way to show someone how much you love them, that even though you're uncomfortable, you're going to love through it. If someone has offended you, forgive them. Is it hard? Yes, but isn't that great that it's hard? Because you have a way to show them how much you love them. I think perhaps that maybe some of the problems that we face as a family of God is because we have forgotten the surpassing worth of our Lord because we have forgotten the disgusting worthlessness of ourselves. We have placed ourselves not as debtors, but as people that got a bonus check who weren't that bad. No wonder we have divisions among ourselves. We don't think that we're that bad. So when someone does us wrong, it offends us even more. Imagine if we understood how worthless we were and how worthy the Lord is, what a different world we would live in, what a different family we would be, where we love ourselves even more than we love 
or we love each other more than we love ourselves. And we can see the Lord's work right here. I am convinced that right now our church is the best kept secret here in Spartanburg. And that's because I've grown to love you all very much. I see love happening between you. And I know that you, that you can love each other with a love that can be a reputation of our church. Let me tell you this one last thing while pastor is away. Do you know where love begins in a church where the reputation starts spreading? It's when you start showing your love for your pastor. I'm telling you, if you can't love the one person who has sacrificed more for you than any single person in, this, in our congregation, who has wept over you and has been obsessed over thinking about what you're going through and what you need, who has sacrificed his own family for you, if you can't love that man, then you can't love me. You can't love anybody in here. What will it take to get rid of your love? It will be very easy for you to walk away if you can't love the one person that has shown love to all of us in ways we don't even know. We think leadership is easy. We love the back seat because the back seat is the best place to lead. You know what he should have done? You know what we should do? You don't know the work, sacrifice, and thankless job it is to love you. Our reputation as a church can be one of love if we begin with a love for our shepherd. And that love will begin to stretch into each other. May the Lord bless us as we try and obey his word.